0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, baby.
1: Welcome to the Smart People Podcast. Sit back, grab a drink, tune in your brain. Ask not what your country can do for you. This nation will rise up. But- Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of Smart People Podcast. I'm Chris Stemp and I'm John Rojas. Thanks for tuning in. We're really excited for this week's guest. We interview Andrew Breitbart. He is an author and a political pundit, if you will. He's got his hands in a lot of things. We tend to butt heads on some issues. We get into some small arguments, but it ends up being actually a really good interview and there's some good insights to take out of it. But before we get into all that, John wanted to tell everybody about a few things. Yes, thanks, Chris. I wanted to remind everybody to follow us on Twitter
0: at Smart People Pod and like us on Facebook at Smart People Podcast. You can also go to our website, smartpeoplepodcast.com. See what we've got going on. Our Twitter feed and Facebook feed are also linked on there. You can find our Amazon widget on the lower left-hand corner of the page. Uh, Every time that you buy something through Amazon, we get a small percentage back from them. Um, And we just really appreciate any help you guys can provide.
1: I know you kind of just breezed through that, but let me reiterate. Use our Amazon widget at our website, smartpeoplepodcast.com. If you take anything away from this, it really helps us out. It gives me the warm and fuzzies. You you mentioned, you know, helping us out,
0: giving us reviews and comments on iTunes is another thing that helps us out in a huge way because iTunes has this crazy algorithm to help them calculate, you know, the top 10 podcasts, the top 100, top 200. And with your guys' help, I think we can get back on those charts again, which will get us more listeners.
1: So let me get into what we talk about on this week's episode. As I mentioned, we interview Andrew Breitbart. He is the author of a new book titled Righteous Indignation, Excuse Me While I Save the World. And granted, I really don't believe this guy is going to save the world or has any meaning to do so. But. He does have some good things to say, and we wanted to interview him because he's done a lot so far in terms of changing the media and the way we talk about politics and the way things are discussed. I know he had his hand in the Huffington Post and the Drudge Report. Roach, I'm sure those are a few websites you've checked out in your day.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so he was a editor for Drudge Report early on, and then he helped Ariana Huffington out uh, with creating the Huffington Post. And, you know, he gets into why he helped somebody that he considers to be on the left or a liberal um, later in the interview. And I found that really interesting. But one of the things that I agree with him about is his desire to kind of break the business model of current media. And when I say current media, I'm talking, you know, newspapers and how they've always been the ones to say, here's what you guys are going to learn about. Here's what you guys are going to read about. We'll tell you exactly what you need to see. And now, you know, with Twitter, with Facebook, social media, all that stuff out there, we really have, you know, an insight to everything that's going on in the world and we can pull down whatever we want. Granted, that doesn't mean I agree with what he, you know, promotes being far on the right as he is. But
1: yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that's where I kind of didn't understand. He said... And you'll all listen to it. But he talks about how he just wants you to say before you report something, whether you're on a news station or in a newspaper, he wants people to know which way you're leaning, if you're left leaning, right leaning. And then you can take the news with a grain of salt, which I can understand. But then he proceeded to say how the New York Times is clearly a a liberal newspaper, yet Fox News reports fair news and things like that. And I just don't I think he's just as biased as other people. Yeah, I, I can't say I agree with the with the Fox
0: News thing. I mean, I agree with his with his statement saying that there are certain newspapers that are leaning left because the majority of newspapers are leaning left, and he actually writes for one of the only newspapers that I'm really aware of that leans right, which is you know the Washington Times.
1: And I'll tell you what, we talked about this after the interview, but if if a, another guest cuts me off as many times as he did, literally, they're getting the axe. Like, <laughs> I don't care who they are, they're getting the hang-up button. I have a question. What's if up? Barack Obama's on
0: and Boom. he keeps He's interrupting Barack. you, you're going to hit the hang-up button on Barack? Barack. Barack oh, Mr. Done. President, I am sorry for that this ahead of time.
1: my podcast, <laughs> presidential stuff.
0: No, I I do agree with you, but you know we're in our infancy, so we're still trying to still trying to get used to the ropes on this. Uh, we you know there there was probably a couple of times where I where I was you know hovering my finger over that that hang up button on the Skype.
1: So, anyways, let that be a lesson for everyone in the future. But all in all, really good episode. He's really well spoken, interesting guy, and he was extremely nice, even though we tend to get into it. So. We are now going to pass it over to Andrew Breitbart. Check out his new book and check out our website where we'll have links and everything, smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for being on the show. First, I just wanted to give our listeners and everybody a little a little understanding about what it is you do. I know you're an acclaimed author and very outspoken uh, when it comes to the news and the media. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your goals
2: let's let's start from the very beginning I, I was a slacker um, I've been described that and I, I resent it but in fact it's true uh, I went through life as a default liberal in Brentwood thinking that the world uh, owed me something that my parents owed me something and when I graduated, from college with a reinforced sense of victimization, even though I came from Brentwood, one of the nicest parts of Los Angeles, my parents said, uh, you need to get a real job and start paying for your shoes and your your, your rent, and I was like, what well, What are you talking about, and at th- that time, uh, the media was telling me that anti-heroes such as Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder uh, were, were were the spokespeople for my generation, I was like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the world owes me and the world's mean and why why don't I have everything I want? And when I started uh working, I started paying for my shoes, I got this weird sense of self esteem. I'm like, Wow, it's kinda cool. I mean I don't have a lot of money, but it's kind of a cool feeling. And I started listening. I started hating grunge music and I flipped over the channel uh from FM or I just couldn't stand grunge, so I was like, I can't listen to this music, and I hated Top 40, so I switched to the AM dial, and I started listening to conservative talk radio, and my lessons that I was learning through hard work and perseverance were now starting to be affirmed by listening to people who talked about this in in a language I had never heard before because I'd you know kind of been programmed to be liberal. And uh, I, next thing I know, I'm in the middle of very, very liberal Brentwood, challenging family members and uh friends to like what's going on you know why do you think this way and i started to basically deconstruct my entire life and i was like oh my god i think i'm actually a conservative and at the exact moment that 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 happened the internet became a real prominent uh emerging thing and i met matt drudge and for years uh worked with him on the drudge report and i was at the right place at the right time. That that's it. I was at the right place at the right time at the birth of the internet, at the birth of the of new media. It was an extraordinary thing and because I was at the right place at the right time and then he introduced me to Ariana Huffington which, you know, allowed for me the opportunity to create the Huffington Post with her. I've I've now I now have a pretty fun resume to throw around because I really expected nothing of myself um, back in 1991 when I graduated, I had I had no vision. I had no goals, short term or long term. And in 20 years, since I graduated from college, uh, you know, I've been at least at at the forefront of a revolution.
0: Great. And you, you mentioned that you helped start Huffington Post. What was going through your head when you were doing that? You know, as you mentioned, you were liberal and then started paying more attention to, you know, these conservative talk shows and whatnot. And I know Ariana Huffington was conservative at first and then became liberal. What was just going through your head, you know, helping her start this liberal website where, you know, everybody from the left would congregate towards?
2: Yeah, it's it's a very bizarre story, but it's true. I, I was Ariana Huffington's researcher uh, from about 1997 through 1999, and she turned liberal on me. <laughs> And so I left. It was awkward. And, you know, I worked with her so, you know, intimately, platonically intimately, but I worked with her. You know, we were fighting the same battles together and she switched. And for about five years, we just had this strange, bizarre air kiss relationship on the west side of L.A. where her friends thought I was the devil for being a conservative. And so I wasn't at the parties that often. But, you know, we, we respected each other. But after the 2004 election... Ariana called me up and said, do you have any ideas for a website? And I spent, you know, a good period of time right after the election through the launch of the Huffington Post that the next May, May of uh, 2005, creating the Huffington Post with her. Why would I do that? Uh, Because my entire narrative when it comes to new media is more voices, not left. And that I, I tend to think that the Democrat media complex that's what I call the mainstream media. It's the natural alliance of the Democratic Party, liberal interest groups, and the mainstream media. They're all activists, but the media pretends that it's objective. It's not. It isn't in Manhattan. It just simply isn't. I thought that what the left needed was a place where leftists could admit they're leftists in reporting of the news, that it would be more transparent, more like Rachel Maddow is a liberal and she's doing the news and, Keith Olbermann's a liberal, and he's doing the news, and I wanted to create a place where Ariana could be the queen of the left-wing blogosphere. And then what would happen is, and as as it has happened, is that if you look at the New York Times front page and you look at the Huffington Post front page, it's the exact same point of view. And it's exposed the allegedly objective New York Times as being partisan. And it's been a bad exposure for the New York Times because the New York Times its competitive advantage was you know all the news that's fit to print well it's all the partisan news that's fit to print and it's actually hurt their brand and so i think we're moving towards a more transparent era in media where you know where a reporter comes from it's exactly the model that's working in uh the uk uh you know what you're getting when you're reading the independent and the guardian. It's a left the left of center papers. But you also know you're getting from the right the Daily Mail, the Times of London and the Telegraph. And so we're just in a weird adolescent phase of adapting to what is what is the standard operating procedure in England. And so I want to create a more transparent media and I'm glad that I have that on the on on my my resume because it speaks to why I'm fighting so hard to create conservative media that tells the truths that the left media, that the Democrat media complex won't tell. So it looks ironic, but to me, it fits with, with my mission. I'm a free speech, first amendment fetishist.
1: Andrew, I, I got to ask you. So I I'm for the aspect of you want to show uh, transparency. You want the media to tell the, 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 true or correct story. And and I think if that's your ultimate goal, I commend you on it. But when you talk about how you want to show the, the right side, the conservative side, isn't that just adding to the partisanship? So uh, what? So what? Well, since when, is,
2: since, when, since when is partisanship a bad thing? The oh, New York Times, you, the, the, thought, new, the New
1: I thought the you are York... saying that partisanship is the problem.
2: No, I, no. Uh, pretending for the New York Times to pretend that it's, uh, it, it's neutral, objective and fair when it's using news and objectivity as a cudgel against the right, when it's only when it frames john boehner bad nancy Pelosi good okay L- lib- liberals are pro environment that what is that what are the implications that conservatives are against the environment when they're able to frame the narrative and they're pretending to be that they're neutral it's a big lie, and so i'm trying to create more transparency so when you hear it doesn't mean that a liberal or the Huffington Post can't report a story that's that's not true. It's just that the orientation and the motivation of a reporter, an editor, to cover a certain story is is mostly driven by ideology when it has a political component to it. I don't think that uh, that the tsunami in Japan is necessarily covered from the vantage of partisanship, but the elections in America certainly are, and the ch- choices of the stories that the New York Times runs and its placement and how they're written is all seen through a partisan agenda and and an ideological agenda. And when they tell their public that they're neutral, they're simply lying to the public. So I'm just creating more transparency. And since that's happened, since we've moved towards that, when I was, a, a, you know, 20 years ago, when when grunge was the big upcoming thing, Time Magazine and Newsweek and all the the formerly important newsweeklies used to, you know, say where where is this generation x why don't they care about politics why why are they so apathetic well as we've moved towards a more partisan media where people are telling you the truth and people have a vested interest in getting out different sides of 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 the same story we now have a much more ga- engaged in ele- electorate if you saw an article that said that kids don't care about politics now it would look kind of silly because people are really, really involved in politics and they're really, really involved in creating the media. And I think those are two inherently good things. And the people who are upset about it are the old guard, the old media. They're upset because Katie Couric and Pinch Sulzberger at the New York Times and Bill Keller and Maureen Dowd used to control the national agenda from their offices in Manhattan or their offices in uh, in in washington dc and now you know a a a teenage videographer in north carolina can take a a a photo of a congressman you know doing something like i don't know strangling him such as bob etheridge uh was caught with new media by it, it ended up making it so that this guy lost his his safe district congressional seat uh this is good this is good that that citizens are getting engaged And it doesn't matter if they if they have a point of view. Everyone has a point of view.
1: Right. You're saying as long as people state beforehand where their bias lies. So uh, with that being
2: said, I've I've defended uh, Keith Olbermann when when MSNBC uh, suspended him the week before he was rooting to get me kicked off of ABC News election night coverage. Mm -hmm. But instead of when he got suspended by MSNBC because they found out he donated to a liberal candidate. I said, "Why are you suspending him? That makes no sense." Right. The, the the whole point of the the rule within NBC is upholding the old false order that these newsmen are neutral, and that giving money to a certain candidate would show a preference towards one side over the other. Well, is that a laughable premise when you're dealing with Keith Olbermann? Everybody knows that he's a liberal. So why should he not be able to participate in the democracy <laughs> and give money to a liberal? It doesn't make sense to me. So I've supported the Keith Olbermans of the world. It's Brian Williams, who I'd probably get along with a thousand times more that I don't trust because he tries to pretend like he's objective. I right. think he's lying to himself. I think Katie Couric lies to herself. And I think the Charlie Gibson lies to himself. They think they're neutral, but they have a default liberal position set in their mind, and there's nothing in Manhattan media circles that would allow for them to see the other side, Um, and that is why Rush Limbaugh and Matt Drudge became so popular and why there's a market for somebody like me because we are giving the other side of the story that they refuse to give.
1: OK. And, but in that same token, because you keep mentioning the liberal media, should Fox News then have to change their their trademark phrase of fair and balanced to something like unfair and biased?
2: I think that Fox News is pretty I think that that message is when they're talking about the news division uh, versus the, you know, the opinion division uh, is Sean Hannity is fair and that he brings liberals on. And, and, yeah, and but so same. does
1: Bill Maher, and so do all of them. But they're still clearly liberal. Well, they bring conservatives a, on, you know.
2: Well, I don't. I, I think fair. It doesn't say objective. It doesn't say that they're. I think that it, I, I think that they're allowed to exist. You know where where Hannity's coming from. You know where Beck's coming from. You know, I don't have a problem with Bill Maher. It's it's the news division. Uh, it's the news division. That that, uh, you know, attempts to be fair. And uh, from my personal perspective, I, I think that Fox News leans to the right. I think it's pretty obvious.
1: Right. That's all I was saying. In, in, in that case, they they would have to show the fact that they everybody knows
2: the- that. But fair okay. but fair and balanced means that they show the other side. And they do. They Fox News puts on more liberals uh, than than MSNBC does. So if, if they said that they're straight down the middle uh, and not that doesn't, and they don't have a, a partisan uh, tinge, they're not telling the truth. It definitely leans to the right, but they are being fair and balanced by giving people uh, the other side, and they do all the time. I was on last night with a Democratic strategist on Hannity's panel.
0: I wanted to take a, a step back real quick and, and kind of go back to what we were just talking about with New York Times and, and those guys kind of – controlling the news that goes out there. And I mean, you've seen print newspaper, The Times, other newspapers out there become less and less popular because of, I I even wanna say social media things such as Twitter and just blogs that are out there. Do you see that this old business model of these companies controlling what news gets out to the people Um, as something that will eventually go away. I mean, you mentioned, you know, you can have videographers in in North Carolina that find stuff and that can make, you know, the mainstream news because them publishing it to YouTube. Where do you see this model going and what do you think is going to eventually happen to the old business model?
2: Well, one of the reasons why I'm not a billionaire or even a millionaire at this juncture in my media mogul status and that I have two car payments and a a mortgage is because I can't see the future. All I know is that I'm engaged in something akin to <laughs> warfare with the old media, and we're changing it as it's going along, and it's a very organic process. And I don't know where it's going to go because uh, every time that uh, a genius in the computer division of a of, of a company comes up with a new piece of software, we adapt to it. And so um, you know, whether it be YouTube was one of those moments where we're like, whoa, we can now finally see you know we can finally now see video instead of this buffering business that made it impossible and now we have the ability now to uh, take our blackberries our i our iphones and our flip phones and to upload stuff immediately so that you can be a a a video journalist it's like the technology is emancipating the news business and making it so that the barrier of entry is negligible and so the mainstream media is going to have to adapt to this if it if it thinks in terms of this is how it was in the 20th century uh, and we need to uh, you know unring this bell or put the genie back in the bottle whatever cliche you want to use I go they're going to lose because the technology is emancipation and the average person now has the ability to you know do uh, an expose that could have, you know, probably would have cost $100,000, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And now Hannah Giles and James O'Keefe took down Acorn in a multi-city undercover, you know, investigation that cost $1,400. And so uh, old media is going to have to embrace new media and, uh, and, and, and uh, new media is going to have to embrace certain standards of, what, of what's expected of a journalist if you're going to get into this game.
0: Do you see that happening now or is it something, you know, where old media and new media are just butting heads?
2: Um, I see it, you know, time to time, but it, it, they are butting heads and it's uh there's a resentment, but it's 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 a resentment that's mostly based upon the fact that they're they're devaluing what it is that Katie Couric you know, Katie Kirk, you know, make ten million dollars a year. You don't it's not worth ten million dollars a year. The value that she holds for our society of Uh, piecing together five stories a night, all you have to do is go to YouTube or go to your favorite blogs and they're already doing it for you. And so they're upset that they're upsetting, they're upset that they're uh, changing the business dynamics out there. And they're also upset that one of the reasons why they got into the business in the first place is so that they could shape the cultural and political narrative. And now that's being wrested away. So they're butting heads because there's an economic war and there's an ideological war. But You know, quietly, they're being forced to adapt to the technological aspects of this. So they're grudgingly embracing the new media behind the scenes while they're fighting the war, uh, you know, outwardly.
1: Andrew, you know, I have to bring this up because it's so huge in the news and we're talking to you about news and all that. Obviously, you know, recently with the death of Osama bin Laden and everything, I saw some crazy stuff about how, as it was happening or soon after it was happening, somebody over near him was tweeting that they heard, you know, um, helicopters and things like that. Do you think that those kind of things help us get the news quicker and more accurately? And then also in regards to the reporting of the death of Osama bin Laden, did you see any biases you thought of?
2: Well, first of all, the first thing I did in new media uh, when I when I found out about it, when I before the president even spoke on Sunday night was to congratulate the president of the United States our armed services, and our intelligence services. And so as a partisan, who everybody thinks is constantly looking for a space for one-upmanship, these people don't understand who I am then, because I, I was very proud that the president of the United States made a very difficult decision. But all the actions that I've seen since then you know, speak to my criticism of this president is that he's a political animal and that it was a grand slam and and it seems like he's trying to walk back the grand slam by politicizing it and he's trying to use his political operatives to 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 feed and frame the the media narrative to try and mitigate whatever George Bush's, you know, place in in this success is and I thought that, that you know if I'm willing to give him credit he should be the big man to say of president bush I came into office as a, an anti-war president I got into this realized this severity of the problem that we have with radical Islam and the techniques that George Bush implemented that I excoriated him from were very central to, um, you know, making it so that we could have the successful mission. And so I'm disappointed in the president and I'm disappointed in the media um, for trying to, to make this. About President Obama and make this the centerpiece of his reelection campaign, instead of recognizing that no, this was a group effort, this was an American effort, and that what the 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 much criticized policies that he did were very instrumental in in reaching this moment uh, that that Barack Obama should you know very much take credit for.
1: Yeah, and and to some extent I agree. I just wonder what what I think personally is that if it took you know bush was in office 8 years and he i think incorrectly concentrated on saddam where obama's in office 3 you know 3 and and gets osama which was our number one target i think he does deserve the majority of the credit
2: I, I i couldn't disagree with you more because to 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 take the media narrative that george bush had his eye off of the osama ball is is untrue and it's 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 born of i, I would say media bias that, that they're try, they tried to make it appear that way you know nancy pelosi saying the capture uh, uh right now is the capture is like the greatest thing that's ever happened and in 2006 when george bush was still in office she said if he got captured it wouldn't matter whatsoever and so people are trying to seize upon these narratives in order to try and grant one person you know a victory over the other i don't buy it whatsoever and and ultimately our war is not against al-qaeda and osama bin laden exclusively it's a it's about an overarching premises of of radical Islam and its desire to to spread uh, around the world and to to push for sharia and, and radical Islam is ultimately the problem and, and and Iraq was a central component in trying to create a, a a base where you know freedom and democracy could could flourish in this country instead of having these countries one after the other that are controlled by uh, despots and 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 tyrants who put these people into horrible economic situations, where the only education that they're getting is is a one-sided Sharia-based totalitarian, you know, mindset. It, you know, the the American people have been ill-educated by the mainstream media, who have a politically correct tendency to try and explain away. Uh, what's going on with the religion of peace. There are are serious, serious issues and and George Bush was willing to deal with those elemental issues that the mainstream media didn't want to talk about. It wanted to just go to the Council on American-Islamic Relations Um, And talk about 9/11 from a perspective of what did we do to deserve this? No. When there is a when when an evil ideology is spreading across the globe that's bringing on people in an organized and in a lone wolf fashion to try and take on Western democracies because they are free, we have to have a much bigger plan than just going after Saddam. uh, I mean uh, uh, Osama bin Laden. It's a much bigger deal than just Osama bin Laden.
1: But I don't think it's really up to us to spread democracy across the entire world. I mean, if we well, do that's, that— Well, that's, 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 ultimately,
2: that's your opinion. The, after 9-11, uh, it, it, what are we going to do about this problem? We, we spend a huge budget uh, trying to deal with these things— one terror attack after the other. What's the best possible way to deal with this? If if we're already giving money to Israel for giving money to Egypt, if we're already engaged in trying to shape policy around the world with our money, are you are you saying that we should just divest from the rest of the world and just be you know purely isolationist? That hasn't worked. No, In I'm saying past, it's kind
1: of egocentric to believe that just because it works for us, it's going to work for the entire world, and then to use well, no, all the resources. Uh, no, it's not it egocentric. Force, it's, it's, know?
2: it's 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 patronizing to think. It's patronizing to think that that the freedom that you take for granted and that that's like water to you, that I other people should that, that 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 other people that you think that other people should live under a a, a tyranny.
1: I, you know, I do enjoy the debate, and I I I guess I know we, we're getting. Deep and on time. And I do want to talk about and let our readers know you have a new book out um, called Righteous Indignation, um, which we will link to on our website. Do you want to lead them to any other websites or places? Um, Yeah,
2: no, no. I mean, I I have a ton of websites. I should probably be smart like Ariana was and have one portal like HuffingtonPost.com, but instead I have biggovernment.com and I've got bigjournalism.com and I've got Breitbart.tv and I've got Big Peace. Eventually, I'll create a portal. I've got Breitbart.com as well. But um, my book is what I'm selling right now. Um, I think that it's a manual uh, for anybody out there that wants to change the world and and to do do it through new media. It's it's what's happened over the last 15 years. I've been there every step of the way, luckily, mostly but uh my my tactics have worked on how to penetrate the democrat media complex my 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 skills have, ca- have taught the american people how they, they can affect the political narrative that it's not done through donating to you know the republican national Conve- you know committee or to different uh candidates the best way to affect change is to get involved in the new media game and, and that's what the book is about and and uh just very excited that it's out there and getting uh you know good reviews and is being well received
1: well Andrew again thank you so much and when when this episode airs we'll make sure to shoot you a link and everything so you can check it out we appreciate you being on
2: anytime thanks a lot guys thanks so much Andrew
1: welcome back welcome back everybody I gotta go on a little rant here because I kept getting cut off and we were going deep in time so I didn't want to continue on with the end of our conversation but it did bother me that Andrew said, you know, oh, you take your your freedom for granted and blah, blah, blah. And it's those kind of things that just make me think when people like him, very strong minded, don't want to hear the other side, get into an argument, they'll kind of say anything to make you look worse. I mean, at what point does he get the idea that I take my freedom for granted, you know? And then at the end he says, oh, you know, so you're telling me because you're free, What other people should live under tyranny and everything. And the only point I was trying to make is he's not even willing to entertain the idea that when we invaded Iraq, we went in under false pretenses, telling everyone we're going for weapons of mass destruction. And there's no way that it was at all about the oil, and that there's no way we made a mistake because we should have been concentrating on Osama bin Laden rather than Saddam and all those things. I was just trying to bring that up, yet. He, he, he wouldn't even hear that. So, you know, now that the interview's over and I can get my two cents in without being cut off, which I'm allowed to do on my podcast, I had to say that. So Fair thank enough. you very much.
0: Regardless of your beliefs, we're all here to learn something, to make ourselves better, to hear what other people have to say. And if you wanna see what Andrew Breitbart has to say in his book, Righteous Indignation, we're gonna have another book contest So mention us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, send us an email this time and and tell us why you want to read, you know, Andrew's book. And we will pick out three random winners and ship those books
1: to your place. Free books. All right. Free books. Who can complain about that? So yeah, as John mentioned, just tweet something about us. Smart People Podcast is the best thing that ever happened to me on this planet next to being born. And then just make sure you put at smartpeoplepod.com. So we know you tweeted about us and we will send you a book if you win. Make sure to use our Amazon widget, bottom of our page at smartpeoplepodcast.com, bottom left-hand corner. When you click on that link and make your orders through that, we get a kickback from Amazon, no cost to you. We appreciate you tuning in. I apologize that I, I, you know, usually I try to stay unbiased here and just really pass the news along. But hey, what do they say? Don't talk politics and religion. We have broken that rule a few times and you see what happens. Yeah, Chris, make sure you keep all this to yourself next time. Yeah, well, (laughs) speaking of next time, next time I'm not going to have as strong of a stance because we will be interviewing a guy who talks about, I'm not even, you know what, I'm not going to give you too much, but one of the worst infestations you can have in your house, this thing is a bloodsucker. It's almost undetectable. And it is one of the largest problem growing problems in the world and our country. Tune in next time to hear all about it. Spoiler alert, it's Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> yes. All right, smartpeoplepodcast.com, Twitter, SmartPeoplePod. Check us out on iTunes. Subscribe. Thanks for listening. Yeah,
0: and as always, thank you to the outdoors, the music on the podcast. Check them out at theoutdoorsmusic.com.